0: i do don't either. know that was yeah actually i feel like i used to be on podcasts and i used to do jingles like all the time On you accident. used to be
1: on podcasts
0: yes this yes. wasn't
1: your first podcast this is not
0: my first podcast tell us about that um well it was when i worked at mixmag and it was a podcast called on rotation okay and it was great it was fun but i would always do jingles so i'm surprised that it's taken me this long to do a jingle
1: Okay, well, so...
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I wish you wouldn't do that. (laughs)
1: You should have ran this by me. Uh, No, we would love a jingle. Can you actually just like craft a real, uh, you know, original, original Yeah, but we'll have
0: to discuss licensing fees. So we'll talk about that later. But anyways, welcome back to all this noise. She
1: don't work for free. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, Good learning lessons right
1: there. We have uh, a great episode. Some good learning lessons as well from Mern.
0: Yeah. Our
1: homie from Singapore.
0: Yeah, and I love... Well, you'll hear it very shortly, but we start the episode talking about how long each of us have known him for. Mm -hmm. And
1: You've known him longer.
0: I know. I'm proud to say I've known him longer because I actually met him in Singapore, which is amazing. Actually, no, I think we met in China, but he was living in Singapore at the time. Um, But I was saying, you know, after recording this episode, I'm so glad to see him thriving and doing so well. He's spending more time here in the U.S., touring and all this kind of stuff, so it's always just nice when you meet people and then you see them a couple of years later and they're doing really well. So, I'm yeah. Happy.
1: I could not agree more. Mm-hmm. I met him in the heyday of the SoundCloud era, which he just talks about. And, yep. um, you know, when collectives were popping and mm-hmm. they had a Japanese writing logo, uh, is a, is a old time, of, of, of you know, a time that is bygone. Mm. But, uh, yeah, like you're saying, I think that, Lockdown for him was a certain experience, especially living in Singapore. Yeah. And uh, Asia was hit pretty hard and and pretty um, restrictive with with a lot of um, what people were able to do. See him come back to the States, touring, thriving, like you said. uh, It's awesome. Yeah. And we had a great convo. I I don't know. He's a very, very well-spoken guy. Yeah, um
0: very stylish in case you're not watching he's very stylish i
1: suggest putting this <laughs> if you're listening to this right now you just put it on youtube
0: yeah there you go he's, <laughs> yeah uh
1: great. he's he's got a, a lot of sauce and uh this is a great episode looking forward to sharing this one yeah together.
0: enjoy uh, okay i always like to what should we talk about in the beginning well, I was going to talk about how you and I have known each other really randomly for uh-huh. a really long time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was trying to think what year it was that we met. It was probably like...
1: He remembers. He remembers.
2: Are you, remember? you talking about Shanghai? Yeah. Yeah, that was 2017 at the International Music Summit in Shanghai.
0: Incredible memory. Mm. That's amazing. Wait,
2: you were on the panel with me.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were had, talking about... Like, rising Asian artists, rising right? Rising
2: Asian artists. I
0: know. I love that. Are that- you guys
1: still rising?
2: We We are. <laughs>
0: You know, I would say he's still rising. I'm not rising. Have you risen I was just yet on the panel? I was <laughs> helping the panel exist. Rising
1: 88, baby. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Awesome. No, but
0: I love that. That's how we met, yeah. and here you are in LA mm-hmm. with us
1: now on another panel on
0: another <laughs> podcast yeah. panel. I love yeah. that. When did that's you guys cute. first meet? You remember?
1: Uh, we met in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, he okay. came over to the states, and we did one of your first shows, right? Yeah. In LA.
2: It was I think it was at the Terragram Ballroom, a Deruma yes. Showcase.
1: Yes, Deruma Showcase. Um, Yes, and I also crashed on your couch for one night. That was fun. Aww. Yeah, oh, we went to Pho. Uh, like, that was like uh, yeah. one of the first times we hung out. We mm-hmm. went to Thank You Pho in Koreatown. Mm-hmm. Korean-owned, but baller, by the way. Just want to say.
2: But <laughs> baller? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so was that your, was that that your Korean, first time
0: but... <laughs> coming to the U.S. at I think, that
2: point? Yes, that was 2017, 2018.
0: That's so cool.
2: Yeah. Love. Around just everyone in that scene, I guess. Everyone I knew, they were going to brownies parties. And I was yeah, like, sounds this? about right. Ooh.
1: 2018 was a good time because that was the 2017-18 is when we first started to kind of branch out more and started doing like you know festivals and like incorporating a lot more artists from around the world and obviously yeah. was one of them. I was like
0: I'm giving myself a pat on the back because I remember when I was putting that panel together I was really kind of like going in the dark of finding, like, artists in regions that I didn't know a ton about. Mm-hmm. So look at me. I found you. And Thank I you. was right. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Rising Asian artist, right here. here.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I do want to say, I think that you actually may have come over in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was 2017. Yeah, I was working so at Fool's Bold at the time. I remember yes. we were talking about it. Yes. But, um Hell. yeah, it, we we had a good crew. I, yeah. I wanted to shout out your tap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Glendale. Glendale was Glendale. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That
2: was... Memories, yeah. He has
1: a a cult following. It's only increased. Because, like, back then, you know, he was getting his, his yep. bearings. Yep. Now it's just full-blown cult. Dude. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I knew I knew he was destined for
2: greatness. <laughs> the moment I laid eyes on him, I was like, <laughs> you're going to be great. Yeah. Also, can I crash on your couch? Yeah, you th- like- that's,
1: the, that was an important part. <laughs> oh it like, God. you got to find the couch to crash on when you come to L.A. <laughs> um, one I of the reasons it. why I'm so close to the Brian's Lemonade guys, just so you know, is that I slept on Kush- Kush's couch for, like, four years, so... <laughs> very important that will bring you
0: closer with someone for sure (laughs) With on their couch (laughs) for a long time Uh,
1: you know uh it was funny because you know at that time i guess we could say that future base was kind of at its peak Mm -hmm. and you know it's kind of interesting i was talking about this we were talking about this on another episode it was kind of Becoming a derogatory term. (laughs) It's a slur. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the last big show I think we did together was Hard Summer in 2018. But it seems like from that point on, kind of you've musically gone in a totally different direction than those Mm -hmm. roots from that scene. Why don't you Mm -hmm. tell us about that a little bit? Uh,
2: Sure. I think 2018 was kind of the cusp where everyone everyone I knew was trying to write an album. Mm. Um, So I was like, you know, I'm gonna do an album, but I'm not gonna put like ten future bass tracks on there. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to my listeners or anyone. Um, and okay. then we had, we had, <laughs> we had just started working with Ultra at the time, so I had access to these, you know, incredible songwriters, incredible you know musicians, and I thought, you know, I've always been a very musical guy. Uh, let me try and do something that. You know, that's not super electronic, but also not super um, indie and organic. So and I kind of met in the middle, started going down this very down-tempo, chill um, routes, which I've always enjoyed, I guess, mm. listening to. I think the one big red flag back in the day was I never listened to my own music. Mm. Like, I'll upload it, Whoa. but I wouldn't sit on a plane or a bus and listen to Myrn, you know? Right. And Why is that? It was just a very, very fatiguing sound. You know, it's like, it's always these big, big drops. And I guess that fatigues the ears a little bit. Like for me, at the time I was just diving into, you know, acts like Bonobo, John Hopkins, uh, Tourist. And that was the stuff I was listening to on repeat. And then I had this kind of, you know, struggle internally because like, why aren't I listening to my own music? So I Mm. think naturally from there, it was so interesting right around that hard summer show. Because I was on stage jumping to like 160 BPM with Wookiee. We're making these crazy four-on-the-floor edits. Yeah. But then on the way home for the festival, I was like, oh let's let's put on some, you know, John Hopkins. Let's listen <laughs> to some stuff. let's listen to some Brian Eno. Mm. Um
1: and that's because. kind of the time when um to that point, like, you know, people like Rufus and Bob Moses and a lot of mm. these artists started to kind of I think emerge really as a viable touring act or like a big like main stage thing where it's like you could have something that was you know melodic and deep and dark but also yeah. be massive you know and yeah. i it i think we changed a lot i think people got away from the edm stuff at that period of time as, sure. as you mentioned yeah, yeah. So i don't know i don't know if if that correlated with with how you were feeling but
2: no the shows were always great like the shows i was playing with you guys uh they were just rowdy and fun i never thought that you could make a you know touring living off of chill down-tempo music until i started attending these shows um like i go to australia a bunch and recently i caught a this never happened show with and shepard the youth and i think there's one song that i really really like i think it's called assassin by and shepard if you play it on spotify it's just very down-tempo very chill and i saw these ripped australians just like moshing to it <laughs> This is like deep house, Which They do to pretty they much everything. So. Melodic house, like hundred twenty BPM. They're just like, Yeah. And they're doing like the ooh ooh thing. I'm like, yeah, this is this is tight. You know? okay. At well, least we're not the only the ones that
0: have embarrassed us
1: with the woo-woo thing as a culture. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. I I love universal that. I, I don't universal know. sign
0: of love from the crowd, I think. Yeah. Damn. As they do. Um, well, so you said you have always been kind of a musical guy. So before you even had this realization, I'm curious what you into making music because it's like, were you listening to a bunch of future based artists, and uh, that's kind of why you felt like that's the music you wanted to make initially?
2: Yeah, no, I think I was born to be a musician, so my name's Manfred, yeah, from Manfred Man, the Earth Band. So, sing the song,
0: come on, sing the song.
2: <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> I will put you on the <laughs> Walking down the street, singing, do what did it. <laughs> Thank you, sad.
0: thank you for that. Thank Beautiful.
2: You. So, my, my dad, I think my dad was the one who was always playing records in the house, had an old stereo on. So I think one of my first um, experiences with music was, you know, listening to disco or Earth, Wind, Fire, mm. lots of rock. You know, Ily Brothers, um, Deep Purple, mm. you know, Michael Jackson. And where wow. did you grow up? In Singapore. Nice. Yeah. So born and raised. And I've always, they, they weren't musicians themselves, but they were always surround me in music. My dad was a great singer. Um, mm. And I think maybe through middle school or high school, I was in a band. I was in a concert band, so I was playing the trombone. So And wow. I was also learning piano at the time. So I always kind of have these musical influences in my life, but never really considered, oh, maybe I should try making music until, yeah. until I was yeah, 18 or
1: 19. Nice. And yeah. so what was like that first entry point? For a lot of people, it's like, F- mm. you know, Fruity Loops yeah. or uh DeVault was here. You got like a DJ controller. What was yeah. your entry point in terms oh, of? Oh, man. It was it was
2: watching these blurry Tomorrowland live streams in maybe like 2013, 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On this like $100 Samsung shit top, this laptop <laughs> that wouldn't even close. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I was watching, I think, Deadmau5 or Vici or Eric Pritz, Joris Ford, all these, you know, progressive guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, that looks. Super simple to do. Let me try it out. So I downloaded <laughs> FL Studio. And in two weeks, I was like, this shit is hard. As You know, <laughs> I can't. I don't know what to do. So I just kept at it. Um, and then I started exploring communities online, like SoundCloud. Yeah. Found a lot of friends. Started making, you know, trappy, like, hip-hop influence beats. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Who were some of your early friends? Do you remember?
2: Wow. Back in the day, well, people like, you yeah, know, Andrew back. Luce, Able Talk, yeah. Luca Lush. Shout out okay, Luca Lush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, just the whole crew of just like beat makers. There were a lot of circles, I think, Mm -hmm. and I've always I thought, you know, like oh, I'm from Singapore. I don't know where I fit in because I didn't really grow up anywhere in LA.
0: It really is so great. Like we've had so many guests have a similar story where SoundCloud really was the, the moment where they found their people mm-hmm. and to hear that someone in Singapore had the exact same yeah. experience. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It
2: Man, shows. I would I would upload my tracks at like 3am Singapore time just to <laughs> trick people like, oh, this kid's from LA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You're <laughs> like, I would have... You're
0: thinking knowledge. ahead.
2: I would, I would have automated tweets and memes just wow. ready to go at like 4 or 5am. Nice. I would be sleeping, but you know i would be tweeting online and people were like <laughs> well
0: that's that's this really interesting yeah that's yeah. a really interesting thing cuz i mean i was going to ask you know growing up in singapore is so different than growing up in the us or yeah. anywhere kind of in north america cuz i think that extended to the soundcloud community that we know and love but did you feel far away like did you feel disconnected no
2: not at all i think i was i yeah. was alone at home like yeah. not too many friends but online it just felt like i was there Wow, um, and this was a few years before I even thought about coming to you know America or LA.
1: Yeah. Or, but so, did you use social media as a way to kind of identify the different scenes and kind of feel like up to date with what was going on?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I was also being super annoying on like Twitter DMs. <laughs> it's like, hey man, uh, I got some new music for you. Like, yeah. if you wanna, so I would send it to every single DJ I knew. Hustle. So yeah. I feel like some people out there have really embarrassing DMs of mine. Just. Floating around.
0: Okay, I'm yeah. sure you're not the only one. No, Don't worry. But
1: no. <laughs> well, you did a lot of collabor collabs with with people too. Yes, and that was yes. kind of a way that you got your name out. I think with yeah. with people in the scene, right? Yeah, that was kind of the the
2: method at the time. I think mm-hmm. music came and went so fast; the yeah. trends kept on changing. Um, I felt that was the only way to kind of put your name out there. Yeah, just flood. Like I was uploading like a track a week. I oh think. wow! That's yeah, like, at the peak. Yeah.
1: Well, I think I think at that time was when there was that shift where it used to be that like quality trumped quantity, but it kind of flipped in that SoundCloud era where it was like quantity then informed your quality. Yeah. Like you saw people getting much better in real time yeah. because you could yeah. just like delete a, you could delete too. a song you if could you, if you wanted to just hide your history right. too. So yeah. Yeah. that was a new thing for artists when they had control of their distribution that way. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that I was thinking about this the other day, because you mentioned Daruma and it's like, all of those collectives and all of that, there was so much, they made so many compilations, right? Mm-hmm. And you gotta imagine all the different artists from all the different walks of life that were on them. But like, in the streaming era, I mean, those are cultural artifacts that could just disappear at any time. An account gets taken down, yeah. you don't renew your band camp, subscribe, like whatever, oh. I, It just could be lost. Yes. So I almost wonder, like, who are the people that are gonna catalog these things for the future, you know?
2: I think there will always be hoarders of music, just you know, sitting on things like YouTube. Mm-hmm. The the thing I learned was nothing gets taken off. Of YouTube. That's true. It's on there <laughs> somewhere. You're looking for someone
0: something. has a copy of something.
2: 2003 Afex Twin, you know, illegal 120 kbps rip. It's on there. It's on yeah. YouTube yeah. With, with like you know, movie zero 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 one or something. Yeah. Um, so we forget yeah. that
1: YouTube is the best music platform. Pretty much yeah, for, pretty for much. a lot of those reasons, at least for from a catalog perspective, but. For you, do you feel like, do you reminisce about that time? Or, you know, like, what what are your feelings about, like, kind of that that time in your life? Only, only good things, I guess. But if I could go
2: back in time, I would probably not release a track a week. I would mm. want to, you know, be a bit more um, certain with the output, and a bit more careful, I guess, which well, I was not you know, back then. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, we've heard, I mean, one of the, Benefits of SoundCloud in that era that people always bring up is the comments and how you could get like real-time feedback yeah, from people and even yeah. like when the drop, it's like this drop really hit with people because they're like, oh my god, like right there. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing mm-hmm. you know the benefit of releasing so much music was maybe you got some of that feedback to then Kinda. incorporate,
2: right? Kinda. Maybe. But,
0: maybe not. <laughs> I don't know.
2: I, I don't really listen to feedback.
0: I'm just doesn't <laughs> even listen to his own fair. music. <laughs> that's also fair. So was there a point yeah. then when you were you know? getting this momentum on SoundCloud that you mm-hmm. felt like you were onto something?
2: Yeah, I think it was, I think through an email. I was uploading lots of remixes. There was this one remix of Jack U I did mm. um, just for fun, threw it up there. Didn't really get too much traction, really, like 10,000 streams in you know a year or something. And then the A&R for Mad Decent at the time, I think Paul Devro reached out, sent me emails like, hey, love this remix. Do you have anything else you could show us? I just thought it was a phishing email, so I just didn't reply. <laughs> oh, no. And then two weeks later, he hit me. I was like, hey, man, did you get that email? I was like, oh, shit, this might They're be like, a real, real thing. So I sent over some stuff, signed an EP to Mad Decent in 2015. Wow. And kind of things just started picking up from that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the, the moral of the story is check your emails yeah. and
1: respond reply, to them. Reply, <laughs> to <Paul> Debra <laughs> Debra <email. laughs> reply to your Paul emails. Reply
2: to your Paul Devere emails.
1: Yeah, Paul, Paul was a... Uh, a big part of my life, you know, at that time too. I, I was working at teamwork. And, mm-hmm. but yeah, he always had his finger on the pulse. So, Man, that's great.
2: Like finding kids from Singapore. I mean, he was very big in like South America at some point. Mm. He was, I think he was backpacking or he was just searching for a lot of music out there. Yeah. And I think that's a great, you know, crate digging skill.
1: Yeah. Dude, he was one of the original people that was like real crate digging. Like he had just like an impressive Bollywood um, vinyl collection. Crazy. And he would Whoa. do these mixes of just Bollywood. Yeah. So
0: it's very fun. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, you gotta, you gotta, we mentioned Diplo and, and also, you know, Paul and all the guys at Mad Decent were very, they're very cultured people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, what just Mern saying this experience here alone, it's just like, they're looking, they were looking in places that other people maybe weren't. Mm -hmm. And I just think that speaks to having a global sense, you know, which is something now I think that is just standard. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, you really had to still kind of go outside of your comfort zone to find people in other countries and, and scenes, you know? Now it's like, I think more than 50% of the listening audience in America listens to non-English music.
0: Yeah, Whoa. but that's also an interesting thing, because I feel like now that it's such a trend, right? It's right. like people are looking at, like, Korean music and being like, oh, there's a lot of talent there. And we're like, yeah, we know. Like, K-pop <laughs> is a big deal already. Mm-hmm, but,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: to look in the still yet undiscovered places, I think is a is yeah. an important thing.
1: What's the uh, music scene in Singapore like? Obviously, it's like a huge international... It's just me. Control. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> just me. There's
2: like two people in Singapore
1: on one of them. Um, <laughs> well, small. I mean, I, there is some it's truth exclusive. to that. I mean, there are... <laughs> there I
0: mean, some truth to that.
1: <laughs> so you... In, in Well, this is an interesting dynamic, right? Between um, when you came to the United States and you started touring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but someone from Singapore, you have your scene, which you were doing really well in, I'm sure. But then... I'm sure the goal was to get to America to tour. Right?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Oh, just expand the listener base. But there is a, a very long standing uh, tradition of dance music in Singapore. Mm. Uh, it's a bit more techno y, a bit more ambient, uh, lots of electronic. And then there's like new kids like me who are making beats on a laptop. And I think since the past five, six years, the sound has gotten super polished. And I'm excited, I guess, um, for dance music out there. But cool. But lots of iconic clubs, there was Zook going for a long time, like 25 years, Mm -hmm. and they would, I think the previous owner would come to Ibiza, you know, and just stay for a couple weeks just to like soak up the sounds of the the beach, Mm -hmm. and then go back home like, okay, we should book this guy, this guy, this guy. Yeah. And then people like me would go to the clubs like, oh, wow, this feels so exquisite and you know foreign and international mm-hmm. yeah that kind of shapes you know dance music culture back home as well yeah, yeah. And they did a Zouk festival right yeah they, they it was an iconic thing yeah. they kind of do it every year yeah. yeah, I was yeah. going to
0: say, people might not know that because they probably know of Zook now via Las Vegas. Yeah. But not know that it was actually it was like a an Singapore Asia thing. Super Club yes. back in the day, yes. before long before the Vegas edition existed. So you said that Singapore has like a long standing electronic history. I'm mm-hmm. curious, I actually have never heard that before. Oh,
2: we just had our first boiler room ever. I love and, that. And nice. they had a lot of local legends who were doing it for, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, but it's always been very housey techno disco, even.
0: Where do you think that comes from? Uh,
2: people Party. People go out in Singapore. You know, people listen to music. Yeah. <laughs> I think also the club scene in Singapore is also very complex and, mm. and big. Because we, you know, we used to have clubs that close at 6 a.m. Like some sometimes oh. like just raves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, kind of just people are just looking for a cool sound to find home, find their own people, their own tribe. And there's a lot of that in Singapore.
0: Yeah, that's actually really interesting because I think for some reason you don't really think about Singapore having like a long history in electronic Mm -hmm. music specifically. But then if you think about it a little bit more, Singapore is like such a global hub Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? of so many people who I think are like very well traveled and like go many places around the world. So it's probably like those people have gone other places and maybe brought that back just like the Zook example. Pretty much. That's what I would assume. You also said that when you
1: were in Shanghai, when you guys met, you -hmm. went to a boiler room there with with, uh, someone we've heard of. Uh, so it was this up and comer dude
2: uh, called Skrillex, <laughs> and he was throwing a, a boiler room in Shanghai. Yeah, yes, um, oh, that was a big, big and deal. That was, that was one of the first boiler rooms I attended, and I thought typically it'd be you know it'd be you know very heady, kind of like cigarette in the mouth kind of music, like techno, <laughs> or um, you know house. Yeah. But then I we walk in, and then this guy starts playing Bangarang in a boiler room. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. If you if you replay the video, you see. You can kind of see a guy who's just slightly you faded and just like wobbling in a green shirt. That's me. <laughs> oh my
0: god! Right behind green shirt, dude. I bet we can find you. <laughs> right that's behind amazing.
2: the mascot. I was just like, what is going on? It was wow. like two, three a.m. But that was that was a surreal
1: time. That yeah. was very fun. Yeah. Um especially because you just mentioned you did this Jack U remix. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. probably around the same time, right? Yes. And then yes. Yeah. Just just a cool just mixture of all of that i'm sure yeah yeah um, when you came to the united states and you started touring and stuff like what was the biggest like kind of difference between your expectation and then what actually you experienced um oh, wow. with like festivals or just that first run when you came over pre-pandemic yeah, yeah. i th- i didn't really have any expectations because i mean looking at
2: like my story and where i've come from i've just had no idea what was going to happen next mm-hmm. so i came here um, I had a lot of fun touring. And then some cities who would tour and sell maybe like 15 and a half tickets <laughs> and a half and a half. No, someone will buy a ticket and be like, I don't want to see this guy and sell it off. <laughs> so that was one of the first, first runs like early on back in the day. And I wasn't discouraged. I was just like, okay, I just got to work harder, you yeah. know, put more music out there. Um, but the, the biggest difference, I guess, was people knew the music a lot more. Mm. When I would used to DJ back in Asia or in China, you would have to kind of mix in, you know, like a commercial sounding song just to like keep the crowd going, keep the alcohol flowing. Mm-hmm. But here, kids don't really care about that. They just want to have a good time. They know the music. They've obviously been studying mm-hmm. it. Um, so that just feels nice as selective for sure.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I'm sure I, I want to talk about kind of what happened during the pandemic for you, but mm-hmm. now you're, you're touring. Um, you just went on two runs. Yeah. So you were with Dabin and Jai Wolf. Yeah. So Dabin, I guess, first of all, that's one where you show up and everyone knows the lyrics. Like yeah. you can yeah. tell they oh for, they've not only studied they've done the extra credit. Yeah, me and, too. I'm I'm in, I'm in ga singing, dude. Like, <laughs> um, you know his Asian fans. You know they, they're used to doing extra credit, so they, they overachieve <laughs> with his music. <laughs> um, so but, nonchalant with the, hey. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, honestly, like I have immense respect. I, I've already mentioned this before, but I have mm-hmm. immense respect for what Dabin has achieved. Just because I think, as an Asian American artist, he's doing a lot of the stuff that, like, I think we wanted our own. Porter Robinson where we wanted people to yeah. emulate, you know, that that model authentically. Yeah. So what was it like being on tour with him? Um, you know, I've always wanted my own dabbin',
2: Like that's my idol. <laughs> uh but we've been friends, I think, for a while now through Facebook Messenger. I think he was in Canada, I was in Singapore, and we were just chatting, sharing music. And he 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 wanted to do like a headline, like a big ce- celebratory headline run. This year, and it was some very iconic venues like Mirage, Red Rocks, you know, Shrine, Bill Graham, and he was like, "Do you want to come and you know play some music?" I'm like, "Yeah, hell yeah!" (laughs) Because we have a song together, and we've been you know known each other for a while. So it was just like a, it's one of the first things I did after COVID, because in Singapore, COVID went on for an extra year. Mm. It was just not a lot of live events last year, Um, so we couldn't really travel. We had to wear a mask everywhere. So and you were in
0: Singapore during. I was in Singapore for
2: two years just. You know, vibing, yeah, hanging out, yeah. Um, and then this was one of the first things I did when I came
1: back. Yeah, that, that so a, you did play Red Rocks.
2: We were supposed to play Red Rocks. Everyone was pretty pumped, and then we get there, and there's like 50 mile per hour winds. Oh shit! Oh, no. They couldn't they couldn't set up the stack because it was just like swinging. Oh my yeah. god! Oh, so unfortunately, there was a like a fire broke out at the ridge, right. so they had to cancel
1: the <sighs> show. That's yeah. wild. I mean that's yeah, really shy. the elements well, it's are unfortunate. I know
0: yeah. sometimes sometimes it gets kind of crazy over there. So. Yeah, because
1: mm-hmm. when yeah. I went to Red Rocks in April, it was like clear. It was yeah. really nice, yeah. but only two days prior, it was like straight up snowing like mm-hmm. in the hole. So it was like they weren't sure if it was gonna be just a snowstorm or not. It was mm-hmm. like just a game time decision. Mm-hmm. You can only imagine how hard it is to adjust. But um, yeah. so I so you also were here for a lot of stuff working with Jai Wolf. Yeah. And yep. that you were not only working, uh, you know, doing the tour with him, but you've been working on his records. And yes. So tell us about that, because um, I don't know if that's new for you, being in like a writing capacity or helping Oh no, I,
2: I've been I've been producing or co-producing or just being a musician. I was a session musician for a little bit as well. Yeah. Um. So been in rooms plenty of times. The first time, my first ever dance music cut was Arl Grime, I Want to Know. So nice. that, was, that was the first ever session I came in. I was in L.A. crashing with like 10 other dudes, you know, like yeah. the friends I was telling you about. We had one bathroom. Oh, God. Clogged um, all the time. But I get DM from R.L. I was like, hey, are you in town? Do you want to work? I'm like, I'm this
1: is I'm going to get a place. Like, you know. yeah. Um, so we did that and a few years later. Wait, let's uh, talk about the R.L. Grime one because I don't yeah. know if a lot of people knew that uh, about, oh. your, about your career. Yeah, I want to
2: know. That was one of the most fun things I've worked on because I've always had a very nice melodic background. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. You know, sure he's famous for his hits, you know, like the trappy hits, but yeah, he's also a very accomplished producer. So when I was working with him, I was just bouncing off his ideas and kinda of just elevating things a little bit. Um so yeah, we had a song that, you know, was called I Wanna Know. I think died didn't come on until later, but and was on his album and then the song kinda of blew up. Was that a song that you
1: listened to of your own? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> once in a while, the one, the one and only, <laughs> the once, the one future bass song. When you hear a song like that you've contributed to in that way, mm-hmm. but it is mainly attributed to R. L. Grime. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you feel about it, do you, are you Like, do you feel like it that is your record, or what? What's the feeling? Oh, really?
2: I, it's, I'm I'm just like a midwife, you know. I'm just bringing things into the universe that wouldn't be there. That's a lovely analogy. I love uh, that. If uh, I, if that. I w- wasn't there. But <laughs> um, but no, I, I love the record, but it wouldn't make sense under, you know, like a Murrin project mm-hmm. or things like that. So how I view co-production is just a way to, you know, elevate things or just bring them into existence. Yeah. Like even, I don't know why it's so looked down on in, in dance music, but go to any Beyonce record or, you know, Taylor Swift record. It's mm-hmm. like five producers, 10 lyricists, and they're all just coming together to just make the best version of the song, mm-hmm. and if that makes for better music, then i um, i don't really have a problem with that.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's nothing awesome.
2: Wrong with collaboration, I think it—it no.
0: stems from a lack of understanding most of the time, right?
2: I—I I think a lot, yeah, that too. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of kids who who make dance music think that you know since it's so in the box, like you all you need is a laptop. Mm. You don't really need anyone else, which I think is also a misconception.
1: Yeah, well, and. You know, Valerie and I have talked about it where I, I think if you get hung up on this like ghost producer thing or that there's somewhat of a flawed ideal that it has to be solely an individual who makes their own music and, and is it's just like purely their creativity. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a naive way of looking at it. There's just not a lot of, unless you're sure. thinking about a singer songwriter who's literally there with just a guitar. Yeah. In,
0: yeah.
1: You know, but I'm sure a lot of people even there have some help with the lyrics. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Not, not everyone can be Calvin Harris, I think. You know,
0: not yet. You know, takes time to become Calvin Harris. Does
1: even Taylor Swift? You know, contributed to uh, one of his tracks uh, uncredited. But yeah, I mean, so so working with Jai Wolf on this, you know, this really important cycle for him. What what has that been like? Um, I think this is probably the closest I've ever worked with an artist. Like kind of
2: also philosophically, musically, Mm -hmm. because I think I'm you know producing just a bunch of tracks for the album. And all the stuff that's coming out, it's it's a very refreshing take on the the Jai Wolf sound, mm-hmm. which I was a fan of growing up. Yeah. So um yeah, it's been it's been fun. We just have sessions all day. We're just like sitting and talking about life and then putting that into the music and going back, you know, and doing something else, like rock climbing, and then going <laughs> back, you know, and just like putting out bangers.
1: Um but yeah, it's it I think those are good. Um it's good it's good to be in that capacity also with creatives, you know, just like mm-hmm. just I don't know. You don't even know what you're going to talk about and what's going to inspire you, but mm-hmm. um, and and the whole process as well. Um,
2: there's a lot of things I can't do with my own music that I can when I'm, you know, working with other people for their own projects. Like so what? it's well, nothing legal. I'm just talking about <laughs> drum processing or something, you know, I see. or some artistic creative things that I, I don't really want to do. Yeah. Um, but I would be willing to explore for other people. Yeah. So yeah, it's also a nice creative exercise I think for me.
1: So when you, you said that you've looked up to Jai Wolf for a while, so mm-hmm. is there like a weird sort of, is there like an, an idea of who Jai Wolf was in your head and then who he really is as a person and that you kind of come to terms with it or? Oh, I mean,
2: well, I met him for the first time in Singapore twenty seventeen. 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought he would be labor in person, but he's like a cool guy. so. <laughs> Um, yeah, right.
0: you're way cooler than I yeah, thought I you'd like, be. Yo, this
2: dude got style. <laughs> this dude good looking. Yeah. I thought he was some nerd. You know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's great. Uh, you so both we've... are
1: in like your hot boy era right now. You oh, kind of, kind of. Well, well thank that. you. Look
0: at that <laughs> trendy tactical what, vibe. What is you
1: uh, love? what has the touring been like? Um just with with Jai Wolf and Tsunami and all, all the homies. Oh, it's it's been super fun. I had
2: I had a few runs with Devalt, I had a few runs with Evangia, Casbo. Um and also I think this was this is my first ever bus tour. Ooh. Um so living on the bus, kind of I kind of got used to it. It was very well, if nice. Well, you've lived
0: in a place with 10 guys and a clogged toilet. I think the oh, bus dude, is not too, too bad. <laughs> a,
2: yeah. I, I was also in the uh, Singaporean military for 2 years, so that oh. kind of built up um well everyone has to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like kind of a a required thing, yeah. So, sleeping on a bus with AC, dude, this is a palace. You so, you know? were fine. I was wow. fine, yeah. Um, the, the most fun I've had was actually hanging out with crew and seeing how the stages were built every single day. There was there yeah. were sometimes we would do like eight shows in 10 days, and yeah. they would do it, you know, no problems asked. And sometimes, no asked, you know,
1: yeah, and sometimes the venue is smaller, so they have mm-hmm. to accommodate, mm-hmm. they have to just scale it accordingly. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy
0: how many people operate to make one show happen, yeah, yeah, yeah. so. Yeah.
2: That kind of inspired me a little bit too.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. And now, I mean, you brought up being in the Singaporean military, and I actually <laughs> wanted to go back to COVID times where you were in Singapore. Yeah. Did you go back because of COVID stuff, or like kind of? Kind of, yeah. That, I wanted yeah. to be
2: with family. And mm-hmm. also, the last time I was here was right before COVID hit. I think it was February 2020. Mm. Yeah. Playing a set at Exchange, I think. Um, and also wrote two tracks, The f- good friend of mine, Manila Killer. And Dash was actually taking pictures of us in Malibu. We were going up the mountain. We, were, uh, we got a little lost for some reason. <laughs> and we took some pictures, came back down, and I was flying the next day. And I get a text from my mom. It's like, are you going to take the, the flight home tomorrow? I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. And then she said, well, there's a flu going around uh, wow. in China. Can you put a mask on? I was like, I don't have a mask. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. But I picked one up and I went home. And then a month after the airport's closed. Wow. Yeah.
0: So it was right, right on time. Right, but you went right back home. On time, yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? Because I feel like, I mean, in the beginning, I'm sure mm-hmm. we all kind of thought it was somewhat temporary, and then you mm-hmm. kind of realize you're back home for a little bit longer after being in the U.S. for a while. Like, mm-hmm. what was that like for you as a musician, starting to oh, get some momentum and stuff? No, Were you yeah. two weeks
2: in? I was on Indeed.com, just you know, <laughs> thinking what to do.
1: Um, <laughs> but
2: it, I think it was a very depressing time for a lot of people. Um, I get most of my, you know. Not just income, but also just like fulfillment from touring and playing mm. shows. So without that, I was, you know, aimless, mm. like a lone piece of wood drifting in the ocean. Oh, um, and I thought it would come, you know, go through after a couple months, but you know, it kept going. So I, I actually did a bit of co-production work mm-hmm. back in Singapore, working with some friends of mine, um, people like Nathan Hartono, Jasmine Sako, Gentle Bones, these um. Crazy, crazy musicians from back home, mm. and I think I did that for a year. And another year went by, and COVID was still like Asia yeah. was pretty pretty badly yeah. hit, um and Singapore wanted to be extra cautious, so there were there were actually checkpoints on the highways during the peak of uh, lockdown, and we have ID cards with our address on it. Mm. So they would pull you over, and if you weren't going in the direction of your home, they'd be like, oh what are you doing out here? Because you're wow. not supposed to." Yeah. Um. So it was pretty strict. We were kind of yeah, at home for two years. Yeah. yeah. Did that yeah. affect
1: your creative process at all?
2: Oh ah, hell yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get most of my inspiration just from, you know, meeting people, having experiences, or a lot of walking, mm-hmm. a lot of traveling. Um, so when I couldn't do that, I had to find other sources. And they weren't, like, really good sources. They were, like, video games. So mm-hmm. I didn't...
1: I don't know. Make
0: do. Make do what got.
1: It was, it was, a, got? A, it was a rough relate. time. relate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, for a lot of people... Um you know everyone reacted differently to that time. There's some yeah. people who creatively thrived, you mm-hmm. know, in mm-hmm. in in that setting. Cuz mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, I can finally sit down and just focus," you yeah. know. Yeah. Other people have different sort of work styles yeah. where yeah, you need to be out and active and around people and that kind of influences, you know, your your own feeling about your craft. Yeah. Um but do you think that during that time was it gave you that full permission to maybe transition into yeah where you are now
2: definitely i think also COVID for a lot of people was the first time they turned on like the front facing camera i, d- I mm. can't remember a time back in the soundcloud days where you had to do that on instagram it was always
1: right. yeah
2: huge fisheye shot you know like as many people like, no nothing with videos nothing with like selfie cameras nothing with like talking to a camera yeah so i think COVID was a time personalities kind of shown through mm. um
0: a good
2: way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in the sound, it's a card, nice way to put it. I'm very, I'm being
1: very polite. Right <laughs> not shenanigans. No, it's like, I mean It's a good way to yeah.
0: like, yeah. I well, because right. yeah, because
1: yeah. I, I uh, not to cut you off. Sorry. I just people how you know feel some type of way about yeah. that. Yeah. About that becoming the case. Yeah. yeah. I get, I get it. I get it. But
2: uh, I'm, I'm a determinist, so I don't think there are like things that should be the case and should not be the case. It's uh-huh. just what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's like what naturally we're, we're tending towards. Um, But yeah, I think I I tried my hand like streaming and like, you know, producing like online. Mm -hmm. um, But I think that just wasn't really for me. Mm -hmm. I like to be mysterious with my craft and, you know, not tell my secrets to anybody.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like you do give the more mysterious vibe, which is great. Because you're talking about like working kind of behind the scenes on some of this other music and with Mm -hmm. people. I'm sure people don't even know that. But I mean, if know? someone
2: comes up to me, ask me, a, ask me a question, I will respond.
1: and not, not <laughs> I like, won't be that
0: mysterious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was tough for a lot of people that had more anim- animi- anonymity. An- anonymity. 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 <laughs> anonymity and, uh, Anonymousness. An enemy. Anony- yeah. An enemy. <laughs> um, and just sort of, there was anyone who had any sort of uh, mystery to their project, I think felt like they needed to become more of a, The first person or personality. And there's just some people that just like kind of refused. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've definitely seen it affect people's careers in different ways. There are other people that stuck true to like, I'm not going to release any music or, you know, really do any of these live streams until things open up. And then they waited and then they were rewarded by that, by that like scarcity. But I think mm-hmm. it was just like a tough time to kind of determine what your next move was because, like you said, you didn't even know when you could drive down the street. True. You know? True. So it's like, who cares about a record True. rollout or whatever? In yeah.
2: Um, so that was twenty twenty in twenty nineteen. I put out my my debut album, um, "In Search of Solitude," which had you know a good blend of you know, emotional kind of future bass and like cinematic tracks and like just electronic um, hits. And then the the little EP that I put out with Manila Killer was actually. None of that. It was more, it was more housey, like 2019. Housey and, well, there was 2020, just the start of 2020, before COVID. It was a bit more housey, more down-tempo. We were both singing on it. Like I love we were, that. We were trying different things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the time over COVID kind of gave me opportunity to kind of refocus, and yeah. see what kind of music I would write that I would listen to. Yeah. And so, naturally, that, that came along.
0: I love that, and also tell us about your relationship friendship with Manila Killer because sounds yeah, like you guys my twin,
2: my for... twin. I mean, yeah. we're both in Southeast Asia <laughs> trying yeah. to make it, um, but he's yeah, he's definitely had a, a crazy following mm-hmm. um, um, all around the U.S. Like he didn't he really recently do Hidden in the clouds like Manila, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think that was like a big big, like homecoming, yeah. He's Very on, on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> he's also on this uh, crazy DJ run. Yeah, I think he's having a lot of fun. Of. He's mm-hmm. gonna—he's actually gonna take my bunk on the um, the Jai Wolf tour. On
0: the bus. Oh, nice. Yeah, You're on tagging the bus. Out? Yeah, Quincy's tagging <laughs> out. So
2: it. I made—I made the sheets extra crusty for him. Oh God, he'll—he'll <laughs> oh, <God.
1: laughs> he'll have a great. Valerie's already having enough trouble picturing the... Uh, yeah, <laughs> too
2: much,
1: too much. But uh, yeah, well, no, uh, we had we had Chris here uh, Manila Kel on the uh, on oh, the nice. pod with Chrome Bodies. Yeah. So yeah, he also. You know, went through his own kind of metamorphosis, I think, mm-hmm. in the last couple of years musically. I think it's great. I think it's great what you guys have tapped into, mm-hmm. you know, individually. Mm-hmm. and just seems like everyone's kind of a little bit more open-minded and trying to get to that place where the music actually represents yeah. who they are rather yeah. than... yeah having a blapper, <laughs> 150 <laughs> for sure, for 50 sure. BPM edits, which you were amazing at making, by the way. I, I still I still do, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I was like, who sometimes. knows? Maybe
0: that'll come back in your think, repertoire in the future. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, I used to drop a lot
2: of uh, hip hop in yeah. my sets because I used to be a top 40 DJ in Singapore mm-hmm. um, for a bottle club that has since closed. Oh, wow. Not of any fault of my own. I mean, <laughs> no. I was I was doing fine in the music. Yeah. But it was one of those cases where some rich guy who probably owns like an oil field yeah. would come up to you and be like, Yo, can you play some Jay Z?
0: And you're like, And I was like, hey.
2: Okay. You know, I was like on Serato at the time. So I would download like five Jay Z songs, just like drop them in. And then he would hand me like a bottle of Ace of Spades or something. And I was 20. So I was like, What is this? Champagne? I'm not going to drink champagne. So I just left it at the club. <laughs> like, and- thanks, but no thanks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> is that how you started DJing?
2: I I started DJing to kind of just get by make money yeah Yeah. so it was a lot of like top 40 gigs lots of hip hop Mm -hmm. or fun kind of gigs um, lots of opening sets all over Singapore and at the time I was releasing music on Mad Decent and so there was this strange disconnect like some I think slowly over time some people started to see my name on Billings like Mm -hmm. I want to go see Mern and then you show up to a Mern show and he's just playing like T.I. and Lil Jon for like an (laughs) hour um and that was when I realized like, okay, I can't, I cannot just yeah. be a DJ. You know, yeah. I'm a, a DJ slash producer now. You know, I'm double barreled. Right. So I had to.
0: Which is know. the hard part, I feel like, of the, the Asia club scene, right? Because like yeah, you were talking about before. It's very
2: tough. For yeah. Sure. Especially the younger kids. There's no way you could have like a 50 cap show just for yourself. There are no venues like that. Mm. A lot of it is within clubs and you're usually working with promoters who are, you know, advertising a certain style of music that's not you. So I think it might be rough for the younger kids back home. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like it's it's an interesting balance because I feel like when I spent time in Asia, you can feel the excitement of mm-hmm. the kids who like mm-hmm. are seeing these big stars and also like homegrown stars.
1: Yeah,
0: excited about their music. But then yeah, the club experience is totally different. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I mean, was- well, it's just because like you were saying, like there there is a real path for artistry in this scene, mm-hmm. um, where you know in other In other areas of the world, it's more of a nightlife or lifestyle accessory. You know, it's not really like, you know, people don't see DJs as like touring uh, entities in that way, unless they're from Europe or imported.
2: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like they will still come up to you with like song requests or um, yeah. Uh, even I think someone did that to Diplo in like Singapore. Like, can you play blah, blah, blah? Like not a Diplo song. He's like. And I was like, (laughs) what's
1: going on? Um, so yeah, there's still that psyche. There. But he knows, like he he's one of those people that has done it all, you know, he understands yeah. the value in that too. Because if you come from the clubs and you were you did you grinded it out in the salt mines of DJing top 40 clubs, and you know mm-hmm. that when someone comes up to you and wants to hear a Jennifer Lopez song and they got $40 in your hands, you play it immediately. Yeah. you <laughs> take the money, you transition out immediately, yeah. and you did your the transaction pretty over. Much, but pretty, pretty much, pretty much. You know, and I think that. You hopefully don't lose sight of that value, too. I mean, that's still serving the people. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. yeah. You get up there and you just want to play what you want. You clear out a dance floor. It's different, yeah. yeah. I think
2: when I was kind of getting introduced to dance music, I thought DJs were just like, you know, part of the staff, like the bar staff. yeah, Waiters or, you know, doormen. They were just part of the crew. You didn't really go there to see the DJ. Mm. So that was kind of what I grew up on. Yeah,
0: that is an interesting because like that's how it used to be in many ways in different ways I think
2: now I'm standing on the table now I'm (laughs) jumping off the table now I'm jumping back on the table (laughs) you just made
1: me think of um... jumped off again (laughs) 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 a lot of jumping I mean uh, DJs love elevated surfaces yeah but um, you just made (laughs) me you just made me when you said that the DJs were also employees yeah you made me think of this bar Uh Jose knows what I'm talking about this place Butter in San Francisco here, the okay. DJs were the bartenders. Oh so gosh. like everyone who was bartending on any given night like could all at the
0: also, same time? Yeah, they could all DJ Whoa. too.
1: So someone would come up and do like two or three four songs, do like, you know, they'd a, go back to and the then bar. someone would go Damn. and then they tag out Whoa. and then someone would go DJ and then they it was amazing. That's, I just thought that, that's that was so the chaotic. Thing.
0: I've always thought bartending would be my worst nightmare job because it's mm-hmm. so chaotic already, just mm-hmm. being a bartender. Yeah. So if you toss some DJing in there as well
1: true you're yeah, just like hold on one second i gotta go play don't stop believing yeah and then, like, <laughs> got your order out. hold
0: on i'll be right there oh my god stickiest tone
1: stickiest uh, tables ever
0: <laughs> i think yeah, that there's point. something
1: kind of like i don't know i think that there's something cool about that though it's like even more in service of the people yeah. which yeah. i think is what djing should be for like mm. i think a lot of people i would actually love to get your thoughts on this like you know we built up djing so much that like Literally, I saw Steve Aoki on a crane. <laughs> like a <construction laughs> You're like crane. physically high up. Yeah, we, it, was it in have, the stratosphere, just <laughs> caking people. It could not have been more above the people, right? Yeah. And not yeah. no, no shit at Steve. <laughs> I think it was just like, it was MTV Wonderland. That was the point of that experience yeah. was like, how crazy can we take the DJ thing? Mm. Yeah. But now as we're seeing, like you mentioned Boiler Room, like yeah. now everyone's, everyone's on the floor. Right. Eye yeah. level. Eye level. <laughs> everyone's physically. 360,
2: just surround. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. the next kind of, would be those Roman death pits where the crowds above, <laughs>
0: I was gonna and say the underground, DJs yeah, on
2: the floor. <laughs> so everyone's like looking down. And they're and throwing
0: then, things at the DJ. <laughs> if you
2: play the wrong songs, tomatoes, you know. But if it's
1: not, I, it's like, say I would love to see the that. balloons or something. I mean, honestly, I think the I think the DJs need that. Yeah, yeah to be honest, oh like, humbling, you know, just, yeah, humbling.
0: Yeah, humbling. Do you like?
1: Do you like the? Do you like the the return to the floor with the people and like kind of having. Yeah. Because I, I think almost now that might get overplayed, but we're still in this kind sure. of... Sure. I think it's also connected to
2: several other things. Like being a DJ is also kind of a selector. Mm-hmm. So when I was on the Jai Wolf tour, every night would be like a totally different set. Like sometimes I'd play, you know, like sometimes I'd play really deep and weird. Sometimes I'd play, you know, just Taylor Swift edits if I'm in, you know, <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. And... But it was always a fun time because I'm always looking at the crowds like, okay, they're vibing with this, you know, I think they would like this song. Or if it fits, you know, oh, maybe they'll like this Mern song. Mm. And so that's kind of um, what I think we're going back to with, you know, with the popularity of Boiler Rooms and these um, almost like, you know, nameless flyers, which I think Brownies has a huge part in, mm. you know, making the scene. For better or worse. <laughs> Just feel like, question mark, question mark, back to back, yeah. question mark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and also the rise of parties without phones and recordings, Mm -hmm. I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so exciting, interesting times.
0: I mean, I love hearing your perspective because I feel like you have, like, been around the world, literally, Mm -hmm. and seen the dance music scene in so many different ways. I'm curious how you feel now. Do you feel more connected to the, like, the Western side of music Mm. or, like, when you go home, do you feel more at home there?
2: I think every kind of um, like Western facing Asian country, like especially Singapore, some parts of Southeast Asia, you're always like a cultural chameleon, you know, like normally I talk like this back home, but then, <laughs> then when I'm with you guys, it's a bit more American, you know, things like water, uh, <laughs> water, <laughs> water. Um, but for me, I think music, music, like the kind of music that I'm really into now, like house or melodic house. I don't think it's tagged to any one kind of place. Like mm. it's it's big. Sure, it's big in London, big in Europe, but it's also you know grabbing a foothold in Asia, like on, like kind of on the undercurrent here, in the states. So yeah, I feel like it's getting a bit more international more now than more than ever. Yeah. You're just you're the poster child for this next wave, you know. You're one of two know.
0: people from Singapore, so you hey. know, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Shout out
2: the only other person in Singapore, my mom, you know. <laughs> That's it. No, Is actually my best friend Brian was there. Shout out Brian. Okay, no, there's three people, there's three people. He three moved people. there. That's no. It. <laughs> no he not. He's not from there. I didn't see him on the roster oh my gosh.
0: Okay, so what's what are you working on now? What can people expect from you?
2: Um, so so I've worked with labels for, you know, pretty much all my life. I mm-hmm. think I was with Ultra for my first record. I was with AstroWorks for the past two years. And I think now in the first time I'm pretty much independent. Mm, so we're Exciting. Kinda, yeah, very exciting. A also, free agent. I'm a free agent. Oh. Yeah. If you're listening, ANR's bids, bids coming right in, dude. <laughs> with the green screen with the <laughs> the auction going on. He's on indeed. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> are you are you excited about this indie chapter? I ahead? think,
2: I think so. Yeah. Um, I also really think um no fault to anyone or whatever, but I think Independent labels, um, especially independent labels that also curate events mm. and also kind of build artists, tend to do a bit better than majors in many of the cases when it comes to dance music, mm. especially. But if you're you know
1: if you're in pop, if you're in R and B, there are a lot of benefits to being with a major. Yeah. So yeah. what you're describing, sorry, mm. that made me think about. It seems like that, an evolution of the SoundCloud collective thing. Yeah, because it's like basically like you just described Daruma. Mm-hmm. had this little collective slash label you got to play a show with brownies and lemonade yeah so but then a lot of people went away from those collectives because they needed a label backing mm-hmm. but now people are like going back to those collectives yeah i think also thing, the reason yeah. why
2: Deruma, you know kind of just settled after a while was you really need a full dedicated team you mm-hmm. know like four people on full-time salaries managing the label yeah and at the time i think it was just kids like me you know <laughs> yeah with the soundcloud unlimited subscription yeah they were just trying our best to annoy djs like hey new compilation just dropped yeah um so now more than ever it's becoming you know you're taking the both bits from both um, structures like the major structure like you need an nr you need a label manager and then when it comes to the collective part like there's usually you know like a big dj or a big act that's also overseeing the whole thing sure kind of what San does with Bitbird you know, above and beyond with Andruna Beats. So, or, you know, RL with Sable
1: Valley even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So
2: I think those things are coming back.
1: Yeah. So. And, and, you know, Finding. people don't really want to admit it, but like the collective model in which every artist is equal is just not really the way that business works, you know, yeah. a lot of times. And I think that, you know, people just find it out in time that like, there are going to be kind of tears to the artists yeah. within a label. Whether I've 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 heard a lot of horror stories about that because mm-hmm. yeah
2: collectives like there's obviously some bigger acts there's some acts that are you know smaller and people fight about that all the time I guess um, like yo dude you put me on track three of your forty <laughs> track disc like co- <laughs> compilation yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah where this guy who's never even toured is like track two like what's going Gosh, on yeah yeah so you have those disagreements and I guess without Without the proper infrastructure, like it's it's also hard to, yeah, mitigate those issues.
1: Well, I think that we look back on the time that when we met, and then the whole SoundCloud thing, and everyone keeps mentioning it because it did feel like a very special time, yeah. for artists, yeah. And hopefully, you know, right now we're living in that time again that something like that is kind of happening. Maybe we don't see it yet mm-hmm. in that same way, but I'm sure there's young people who are mm-hmm. meeting through Discord or other you know other areas where we weren't, we weren't you know mm-hmm. that didn't exist and then mm-hmm. they're having their own heyday right now too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's it's nice. It feels like we've we've heard the sentiment before too. It's like these kind of independent labels or labels that are built up by artists because they trust the curation of that person and that they bring other artists up that that community feeling is coming back. So mm-hmm. so it sounds like there's probably music that you're working on. Yeah plans for shows well stuff. I'm definitely
2: planning a lot of stuff for next year I feel yeah. like release a couple of things this year but the music direction I mean if you're taking listen to, to all the new stuff it kind of combines all the things that I loved back in the day like you know chord progressions like very euphoric melodic things um, now just with a different you know tempo mm. and um that's I've been listening to a lot of my own music at home. Oh, he's that's he's exciting. finalist. Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. that's great. Every time I post my um, Spotify, you know, top five artists the past few years, it's been me. <laughs> you know, just you that gotta.
0: Is, that's he, honestly such. I'm so glad <laughs> you told us that because I feel like that's something that people, I guess, you don't really talk about because it just sounds silly to be like yeah. I listen to my own music or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. But that is really important that you realize that you weren't into listening your own to your own music and there was yeah. something that you needed to change because yeah. of that.
2: That's great. Like, I would be really embarrassed back in the day if people put my song on at the party. And Like, just party. turn that off, turn <laughs> <it> off.
0: <laughs> Which uh, is yeah, that's an important reaction to like realize that you're having for yeah. whatever reason it is. Yeah, yeah. So now you're
2: like turn that up. Yeah, exactly. Like, put that on loop. Oh, you you might actually like this you track. Don't play instead. Anything
0: else? <laughs> yeah. So that now the you know newer stuff coming out, mm-hmm. and you're playing it and sharing it with people, are is that like kind of. Forming how you're thinking about your sh- your live shows and mm-hmm. your DJ sets and seeing the reactions from that. that so I've happened.
2: also been I've also been playing live from back in the day. Like I went on tour in Manila Killer. I was I was opening, and he had a live setup with NPCs I had a live setup with like a piano. Mm. I think the one thing both of us realized, like we fucking hate playing live, is just <laughs> too yeah. many wires. Also, I wasn't really good at like I was a great producer, but I was a bad live set. Um, curator for Ableton okay. because I would have no idea how to set up my projects. Mm. So there was this one time I was performing in like 90 degree heat in Las Vegas and I had three Omnispheres open, which is a plugin and like three C-rooms and my my laptop was just choking like 90% CPU and obviously it crashed. Oh God. But I was pretty good at stand-up. So like (laughs) five minutes, (laughs) I was just like, oh yeah, I mean, you guys come here often and trying to back everything up.
0: Biggest test of them all. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So after a few incidents like that, I was thinking, you know, the the set I'm trying to curate isn't really an like a very on time audiovisual experience. It's more of just, you know, it's reading the crowd. It's playing something different every night. And that's the kind of stuff I have fun with. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just I'm a DJ now, you know. I'm just
1: good. I think that a lot of artists felt compelled to or like pressured mm-hmm. to do a live set. Yes. Because yeah. they were like, oh, I'm
0: just good to I try, know. right? Give it a shot. Well, again it's,
1: it's, it's it, interesting everyone experiment. needed to go through that experience i yeah. think collectively
2: <laughs> i agree it was also because i think one of the biggest like heroes from our time was like people like odeza mm. you know that had a huge drumline a huge cinematic experience and mm-hmm. everyone thinks like my set needs to be a movie
1: yeah but or for worlds, a lot of people right?
2: yeah yeah or worlds especially worlds um so a lot of people thought that but you really don't. I guess there are no. There's no right or wrong way to curate a live experience that's true to yourself and your fans. Um, and I think for me, that's just DJing.
1: Yeah, and I think for Porter, as an example, like I think he was better at being a live show curator than maybe a DJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. I think that he identified that, but like that doesn't mean that everyone else needed to make that leap. You know, it's also prohibitively expensive.
0: Yeah, that too.
1: But also, like when you're in like a support capacity or whatever, and you have to also have that kind of backline set up and all that, it's just like stressful. Ultimately, I think the fans just want the music to be good. Exactly. If it comes out through CDJs, yeah, you know, or you know, Mm -hmm. on on iPad or something. You know, (laughs) I would DJ with an iPad. I would
2: kill. Teach their own. Teach their own. I would kill with the. You know, iPhone thirteen live setup. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the <It's a> minimal <laughs> setup, very minimal. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I feel like it's it's cool to hear kind of the backstory of where you're at now because I feel mm-hmm. like it sounds like you're in a really confident and comfortable place. Yeah. As an artist. Yeah. Which is always a nice thing to hear.
2: I mean, if you if you see any pictures from the tour, I'm just smiling. Yeah. Like, looking like a jackass, just having a great time playing. You know, the stuff that I love. I love it. Yeah.
0: Well, I can't wait for what else is to come. Excited for this next indie it's kinda, chapter. It's, it's
1: kind of open-ended. Yeah. But um, we'll, I'll figure it out.
0: I love it. Yeah. We'll, we'll be
1: there for it. And we're honored to have hosted 50% of the population of Singapore here on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. What's up, mom? <laughs> What's up, mom?
0: We're going to have some disgruntled Singaporean fans <laughs> <seeing>, being like, <laughs> no. hey, I'm
1: here. Maybe, maybe there's like 10 people. Okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe. We might may have to go back and check our numbers. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Icon Collective Music Production School for having us. Yate, Jose on the ones and twos. Oh, look at the shades. All right, ready? Cheers.
0: Cheers to Merd. Reunion.
1: Oh, cheers, cheers, (laughs) cheers, cheers. Thank (laughs) you. you. Um, That's all this noise. We'll see you soon.